welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by my good friend, I would like to say now, Keith from Medwise. We've been doing a bit of work together and doing all sorts of stuff together, so I know Keith very well. He runs a company called Medwise, and I'm going to let Keith explain all about it, but he is making some serious waves in the health tech industry. So, welcome Keith. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the, the podcast. You're very welcome, mate. It's a long time coming, this, I feel like. We've known each other for quite a long time now, and uh, yeah... We've, uh, we've timed it at a good point, let's just say, based on what's going on. So uh, super keen to get into it and really glad to have you on. Uh, but yeah, my first question, mate. Um, well, in fact, where, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today? Let's do that first. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm in London right now. The, the company is based in Cambridge. We have really good ties with the ecosystem and the community in Cambridge. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm based in London. Nice. Whereabouts in London are you? Are you at home or the office these days? So I'm back in the office usually um, like one to two times a week. But we we are funded by Wayra, so they recently moved to a pretty nice uh, office in Vauxhall with a view of the river. So uh, so quite nice. quite enjoyable. And I think sometimes seeing all the other entrepreneurs working hard as well, like that's just a good atmosphere to be in. It's a good point, man, because I've noticed that actually. So we took a. We took a bit of a, a little bit of a WeWork membership, um, and I live out towards Surrey and Weybridge, and so you know, fast train into Waterloo, and like a you know, a bit of a commute, sort of 30, 40 minutes by the time you, you get there. But like when you're there, those gains of having all of those people around you, like work, well, some working more hard than others, and some just there for the barista, perhaps. But <laughs> yeah, being around some people that are working hard. Uh, definitely helped me and it helped like I I just did I was so much more focused and I actually just got my head down and in a way that I've not really been so non-distracted I just get so distracted at home with like the dog running around and this that and the other and yeah it's just super nice yeah. to, uh, to just have uh, a bit of focused time but anyway we digress um, first question I would like to ask you mate is about your story uh, I know your story and I'm excited for listeners to hear it um, really part of the uh, the early stage classic i would say early stage health tech journey at the minute um but yeah tell us all about it man tell us a bit of your story awesome so i my story started when i was in medical school so i did my medical school back in hong kong where where i'm from um, i went into medical school um, thinking that um, i can learn more about human biology i think biology has always been the topic that I love the most, the study of life. I think life is amazing. So if we can learn more about human biology and I can actually save lives, that'd be amazing. Um, so I went into medical school. I, I did my preclinical years. Nothing really happened then. I was just studying hard, being a good medical student. And, and then once I hit clinical years, uh, I remember um, this specific patient in the hepatobiliary ward. Um, he's a 40 years old uh, Filipino man, came in with a hugely distended tummy, um, but he wasn't in any pain um, and, and he was all right, actually. Um, I, I, I went there, I took his history, did a physical exam, was curious to find out, okay, what's, what's actually happening? I remember him talking to his wife on the phone and say, I, I have no pain, I'll be out soon, don't worry. I scrolled through his CT scan and then he has end-stage pancreatic cancer. Um, so Oof. that was quite of a shock to me uh, when I 
just just by studying, I know like the the life expectancy is poor, um, and all, all the best that we could do as clinicians is to give palliative care, com- kind of uh, give him comfort and and the state end of life stage. So uh, that came to a shock to me and realizing that there are limits to what a clinician can do. And then I, it just got my brain spinning. Like what else can I do to help these sort of patients? Can I make a earlier stage screening test for pancreatic cancer? Can there be more targets of therapy that can actually penetrate the pancreatic tissue? So it, it, that patient, that one patient sparked a lot of um, thinking about innovation and, and, and creativity. How can I, actually make new solutions for 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 patients and and also help uh, clinicians help patients kind of give new tools for clinicians to help patients so <clears throat> yes from that point onwards i i i was uh, quite determined to find out more about the healthcare innovation space and i i was very fortunate to be awarded a scholarship to attend a conference called uh, Exponential Medicine Conference in the US in San Diego, a lovely uh, hotel there. Um, that's an amazing experience where, where I realized that what I want to do, there are clinicians doing it. There are clinicians back at those days, the, the, the companies that are talked about are like Illumina, Advancing Genomics. Now they're a hugely successful company. There's like intuitive surgical, and I, I, I remember the surgeons, they're talking about, oh, get, getting shares in intuitive surgical. I, I don't think they need to do surgeries anymore <laughs> if they were <laughs> back then. Um, so I think I joined, I actually joined the, the version that's called Future Med before they renamed into Exponential Medicine. But, but anyway, I met, I met like amazing scientists, academics, like, like George, uh, Professor George Church, uh, and, and a lot of other uh superstars in the space so i realized okay that's that's what i want to do um and um <clears throat> in hong kong is it's uh there's not that much opportunity uh especially what we were talking about six seven years ago um uh actually no wait now it's 2022 maybe nearly 10 years ago so i think digital health in particular hasn't really taken off it was really early stage for digital health companies even in the us in in, in the uk um so i i tried a lot of different stuff i tried clinical research i did an internship at ucl doing uh, translational cancer research using crispr cas9 that was like way way back when when it was just out there so i was starting cool. starting to really try to Thank you. <laughs> I think that was super cool as well. But I, I, I realized I didn't like wet lab. It was too slow for me. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, and I realized, okay, that, that's what I really want to do. And I think um, I, I, had a, I had some questions whether to actually go straight into healthcare innovation or um, uh, after medical school or like actually practice for a bit first. Um, and talked to some professors in, in my university. They really suggested me to actually practice first, get my license first. So I did that. I'm actually very grateful for that advice because I, uh, they, the moment I started practicing, I realized that uh, um, what you learned in medical school and how you actually practice, there's, there's a big gap and you see so much more when you're actually in the system, you see. And, and I, it suddenly opened up a lot of other potential problems that I can help solve 
um, and and obviously Matwise is was one one of the uh, solution or one of the uh, it originates from one of the problems I encountered when when I was practicing as a doctor, which is so much information. How do you quickly find the right information at the right time at the point of care? Uh, but before I go into Matwise, I will just finish off by saying uh, after. Um, completing my training, getting my license, and having practiced in Hong Kong. I was very fortunate to be uh, <clears throat> selected to join a MPhil program in, in Cambridge. It's called in Bioscience Enterprise. So it's kind of like a MBA for healthcare and life science. So it teaches you how to translate ideas all the way from, from the bench, just uh, <clears throat> and a, a research from a university all the way to the bedside, uh, be it a drug, a medical device, or digital health technology, and made that transition into the health tech and, and innovation space. Awesome, man. Um, I've got a few questions. So, firstly, let me just touch on this practicing first thing, you know, advice that you were given to, uh, you know, do I go into health innovation? Do I continue practicing as a doctor in your case? I think a lot of people will be at a similar crossroads, not necessarily with medicine, but the thing that they are doing, that they are learning something relevant from. In terms of, you know, taking the plunge or, you know, launching into entrepreneurship, however you want to define this in terms of moving into innovation and whether or not that is synonymous with actual entrepreneurship or whether or not, you know, that means going into a health tech startup or whatever it is. I mean, that decision to get your license and practice first. That was obviously a decision, talking more broadly, to get something done that gave you a, a qualification or something on your CV perhaps, or perhaps it was something more to do with the learning or the credibility. I mean, what? why did that turn out to be good advice? And the reason, the reason I ask is because I think that's different for everybody. I think for some people it is right to go earlier. For some people it is right to go later. And I don't think for some people it's not right to go at all. And for some it's immediate. I, you know, how did you... How did you? What did you learn that made you think that was a good decision? Like, closed that loop for me. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I would hundred percent agree that this would probably differ uh, for for everyone. Like, I think there's no one specific fixed path or one advice that would be applicable to to all the listeners out there. Uh, but I think for me, it, it does close the loop because. Um, I've always wanted to help patients and <clears throat> and I think by practicing it really gives me the best understanding of, of what are the gaps within the healthcare system and what are the gaps in, in patient care and I think for me it made sense um, by opening up um, a lot of more problem space that I could potentially solve. Um, I think for the transition to actually starting a company um, and, and being an entrepreneur, um, I didn't jump right into it af after, for example, completing my, my uh, medical training and getting my, my license. I did go through additional uh, career. Uh, uh, for example, after my master's, I did a year of management consulting, just working in the NHS space, understanding what are the challenges from a system perspective um, and, and working on um, NHS productivity projects, helping hospitals work better together to save costs. Um, and then I also joined, then joined a digital health uh, startup back then, 
massive scale now and, and I think they've reached unicorn status as well. Huma, previously called Metalpad, they are in the remote patient monitoring space. Uh, again, huge learnings from, from that experience as a product manager, um, and, but also supporting a lot of sales and marketing activities in there. Um, <laughs> so, so I would say, <laughs> uh, uh, I think everything that I've done kind of um, led me to um, starting Metwise um, in, in the end. And as Steve Jobs have kind of famously mentioned, you can only connect the dot backwards. And, and there's no, a, no, no kind of like one answer for, for everyone's career path. Really interesting. I think you have clearly had a very thoughtful route through the health tech space. The health tech space is quite big now. It's getting bigger. There's lots of different things you can do. Yeah. You've mentioned an MBA for healthcare. You've mentioned management consultancy and doing NHS projects to really understand the challenges. You've mentioned doing time as a, doing time, you know what I mean? Doing time as a clinician, um, <laughs> you know, spending time as a clinician, I should say. Um, and as I say, it's very thoughtful, I think, because not only, you mentioned understanding a lot, un understanding the challenges. And I think immersing yourself in any place that you want to solve a problem is the absolute best way of understanding the problem. So you have immersed yourself in it to understand it, but whether by luck or perhaps I would probably hypothesize design, you've actually done jobs there which have given you a range of skills because you've learned the clinical medicine, the problem analysis, problem solving from management consultancy, the theory that underpins all of that, perhaps with some finance, etc., with an MBA for healthcare vibe, you know, I think you've then spent time in a health tech company doing boots on the ground stuff, project management, sales, marketing, all of that product design, project management, like all of that stuff. And you're right in what you say, you know, all roads have led to Medwise, obviously the company that you run now. But I, again, hypothesis here, you probably, you probably use something that you've learnt from each of those things, probably every day, I imagine. No, absolutely. I think a, a lot of the things that I've learned in, in the past five, six years, I would say even 10 years, like things that I've learned in medical school is, is still useful to yeah. this day. Um, but I, I would also say that as an on entrepreneur, you, you basically are still learning on the job like every day. Like there's so much new things, new challenges that you have to solve, um, especially when your company is at the very early stage. It's just you and a, a couple of other team members. Um, so I think lifelong learning is, uh, is very important no, no matter what industry you're in. Um, I guess especially for an entrepreneur. Um, being able to use all the skills that you've accumulated definitely helps you to, I guess, supercharge the initial phase. But at the same time, as you scale the company, um, uh, you really have to have a growth mindset. And actually, I, I would say you really have to um, hire and find people with a growth mindset with you to do this together because uh, you cannot do it alone. There's so much stuff going on. 
I would also add the humility to know that you need a growth mindset, the humility to know that you don't know everything as an entrepreneur, the, the humility to realize that you are lifelong learning because every situation is new just by definition of the fact the company grows and changes. You are in completely new situations every single day unless you have a mindset in which you can go to other people to ask advice, mentors, you can read up on things, you can look and analyze to see how other people have done things, to see how you might do things differently. I think unless you approach it with that mindset, there'll be a very small number of people that get everything right first time and they'll they'll have that survivorship bias of like, I am just amazing because I IPO'd, yeah. whereas in fact, they just made a hundred lucky decisions yeah. or whatever it is. Um, of course, exaggerating, it's, it's impossible to go that long without making any bad decisions. But um, yeah, I, my point is that humility and, and that that knowledge that you that you need to have that mindset, I think is extremely important. And, and also perhaps even as I say that out loud, to, to even give yourself the confidence to enter entrepreneurship without feeling crippling imposter syndrome. I think just knowing that you're going to have to enter health tech entrepreneurship not knowing everything you can do your best you can take a job as a management consultant you can then do an mba you can then uh you can spend some time as a clinician you can spend some time in a health tech company but even then you're still not going to feel like you know everything i think that's important for people to realize is that at some point it's good to just try and solve the problem it's good to just try and do that perhaps in your own time to begin with and then once you get a bit of traction you can think to jump but yeah i, I think it's so important to have that mindset no i and i and i completely agree i think it, it helped initially uh, to overcome that kind of imposter syndrome but i have to be honest even with all that experience i still feel like an imposter sometimes <laughs> and, and i you think and both, it's, it's completely all right to feel yeah well, yeah it's i said it's, you and me both it's completely <laughs> all right to feel that way yes so so and and i think it's completely all right and and it's actually um good if you feel feel that way in some sense because you know that there's still more that can be done and then you will go out and run hypothesis you can test it you can experiment it and and then and then you and the company and the team and the product all grow together with your customers with your investors and advisors so so i i think um the I think people should realize that everyone probably is feeling like an imposter, <laughs> so you're 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 not alone. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. And I actually think, and I'm learning this myself now in in what I'm doing. That part of I think the skill of running a business and being an entrepreneur, particularly in health tech, is finding out you know what can you do within your company, within your resources that gets the job done, and make sure you're on the right path. But then also to be doing that experimentation, to be able to A-B test things, you know, should we, should this person be totally focused on this thing, which could actually lead to loads of future gains and, or should we divert our time somewhat to do this and experiment with this? And I think the skill to know where to be diverting resources is, is extremely important, but sat on a baseline of getting the job done. I think that's, that's uh, something that again that I'm learning is extremely important and making sure that you're well resourced enough to get that bit right um, as you probably know Keith as a, as a client of Somex right I don't know how many things have dropped it can't be that many but <laughs> like, I'm sure there's a couple um, but anyway rather than get into that no uh, like you guys uh, have been you guys have been great 
<laughs> of course you got to say that. Of course you got to say that. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about Medwise. Let's talk about uh, when when did this? You mentioned you know a, a very personal story about wanting to do something more, about wanting to um, find extra in part, I suppose, find extra purpose, but only find extra impact. You know, as you, you learnt as a clinician, I can only see the patients that I see in that day, and I want to influence more, and that set you on this path of then healthcare innovation and and finding ideas talk to me about finding the idea for medwise talk to me about how you turned that idea into reality yeah so when i was a medical doctor i used to do night shifts and in in hong kong the medical system is quite grueling in the sense that it's still the the equivalent of the old foundation year system in the UK. So we still have 36 hour shifts. And it's like, and, and sometimes in, in bad um, rotations, you could do like 36 hour shifts twice a week. And, and that is just immensely tiring. Um, so imagine you're in a extremely stretched uh, situation. You're alone at night doing a night shift. Your seniors are busy dealing with their patients and they may not be able to um, help you right away. Uh, I was often caught in those type of situations where I have to make the, the, the decision initially and I would want to look for information and, and resources that can help me make a better decision. Um, and I, I remember I always carry with myself a pocketbook uh, that is written by, by my seniors. Um, so junior doctors who've gone before me um, and, and they'll be like, in, in this situation, do this, in, in that situation, give, give Amy Alderon, how many milligrams, etc. And I was like, everyone's following this, but is this evidence-based? Is this up to date? <laughs> like, it's not even versioned. I just get passed on and like, everyone is just doing this. And I was like, okay, is there anything better? So, so I'll, I'll turn to Google and then Google will give me loads of patient-facing information as a junior. I don't know where to look for things. And then there will be these like, hospital guide uh, guidelines that are written up by by the consultants which is great but they are like 1000 pages long and it's in, in the in the common room and then no one half the time to go in and like flip a thousand pages to find find the thing that you need right so how can we bring everything together uh, and really in like a split second give give clinicians the right information at the right time so that they can provide better care for patients that's that's a problem that I've been wanting to solve for a really long time. Um, uh, and the, I, I didn't have the, I guess, experience. And I also didn't believe the technology was, was advanced enough to be able to solve, solve this problem uh, up until I, I, found, I found the MedWise. Um, and the reason is that I saw a lot of advancements in um, the AI space, especially in the natural language processing space. So with a new architecture, uh, transformer-based neural networks, we're seeing huge improvements um, in, in language models and these AI models being able to perform language tasks and even per surpassing uh, human benchmarks in, in a lot of language tasks, such as question answering, reading comprehension, etc. Um, and I got really excited about this space because I think now is finally the time to solve this problem once and for all. Um, and, and I think there, there has been a lot of attempts before us and 
uh, people talk about first mover advantage, but I, I believe actually is the what we want to be is the last mover, the the, the company that solved this once and for all, like Google, like like Facebook, like Amazon. Um, and they they're they're not necessarily the first mover. Yahoo and a, a lot of other search engines come before Google. Um, so I think I think we're very excited. Um, to be bringing these uh, technologies into the front line and supporting clinicians to provide better care for patients. Amazing. First question I've got, you mentioned something very complicated there in my mind. Transformer-based neural networks, I believe you said, which must be the technology that underpins what you do, if I've said that correctly. That's really interesting because on the, on the face of it, right, People are just going to go like, all oh, right, you're Google for doctors. It, and, you know, you'll search through these websites. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, you might be a bit skeptical of like, oh, it's still going to be like trash information that comes to you. And like, it's probably going to be incorrect and like all the rest of it. But when you say something like transformer-based neural networks, it's like, oh, okay, this is actually more than just find, control and F and then it presents it to you. Um, talk to me about the technology because... As I say, it, it's interesting to me that, like, what does that even mean? What does that actually do? Like, how, do, how, does, that, how does that mean that people write things down and get good information? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. I think the, I can't kind of share too much on, on the tech. And I, <laughs> of I, course. I, uh, but, the, <laughs> but, but just in terms of, of um, sharing a bit more about transformer-based neural networks, I think there has been a... Um, a, a kind of a huge advancement in the computer vision space um, around 10 years ago now. And, and that's when deep neural networks or recurrent neural networks were introduced and they are performing really well in computer vision related tasks. And, and now we're seeing probably too many um, uh, computer vision or um, AI startup uh, in the health tech space, too many companies doing oh, chest X-ray, CT, MRI, automated by, by AI. Um, I, I think what I want to emphasize is that we are seeing the start of that in the, in the natural language processing space. Uh, we are using some of these latest technology, but uh, to build a great product, we're not just doing AI research, we're combining different components of both existing information retrieval technology with the latest technology and then providing a great experience for the user. Um, and this constantly changes we, as the user uses, submits data and we look at it. Uh, we, we would change the architecture, improve it. So it's, it's not fixed uh, um, that, oh, we have this one AI model that does everything and it's impossible that there's multiple things that, that's happening uh, in the background. But I personally feel that um, not, uh, I'm very excited, not just about us, um, MattWise, but any other company that is using the natural language processing technology to solve healthcare problems. Um, We've recently seen some very exciting exits, like, like Nuance selling to Microsoft for, for like billions, um, and and they are kind of the, the very uh, early kind of like old NLP technology <laughs> that that have I'm sure they're doing exciting new new stuff as well. But I think just just there are very good signals that this this uh, market and this application of technology to old problems uh, could be a very exciting space to watch. 
And for people out there that have an idea or that are, you know, looking to solve a problem, which way round was it for you? Did you know about these neural networks prior or did you find the problem and think, okay, I need to find a decent solution and this looks like a decent solution? Which way round was it? Yeah, for me, I would always say start start with a problem, um, especially if the problem is something that you have personally encountered. I think you just have that much more motivation and passion to solve it. Entrepreneurship is not easy. So if you're trying to solve a problem that you're not passionate about, the, the journey may get too hard sometimes and you, you may burn out and you may want to quit. But for me, I think because I know the potential of um, uh, of solving this problem and the impact that, that it can have. And I know for a hundred percent that this problem is only getting worse with all the new medical research coming out with all the drugs being approved. How on earth can a clinician remember everything? It's no longer about remembering everything, but being able to find the right information at the right time and then providing compassionate care to the patient. Um, so for me, I started with the problem and I think it's actually worthwhile starting with the problem and then experimenting with things and then doing analysis, uh, writing a business plan or looking at tech, talking to people in the space to see, okay, is, is, is the tech going to be able to solve this problem? If, if, if it's not solvable, don't, don't do it. It's like there are companies that are very visionary trying to solve a problem, but the solution is not there and then it's just blow up like Theranos is like the problem mm. space is huge that market is huge it's just mm. that the solution isn't there um, and and you can't push um, so I would say start with the problem and then explore uh, whether there are solutions that could potentially solve it and I think timing is a kind of uh, is an element that has been missed by both um, investors and entrepreneurs um, to understand, okay, whether it's a good timing. And there's a, a lot of things uh, that that could um, influence this. Is is there a technological breakthrough um, that, that could be a timing? Is there a regulatory change that could be a, a good timing? Is there a uh, company that is getting broken up because of monopoly or something that could be a, a timing? So there's a lot of different factors. Um, uh, that could influence whether it's a good timing to start the company. I didn't start MedWise right after med school nor after graduation oh, and, and getting the license or right after management consultant. I started it now because I think it's the right time to do it. Hmm. Nice. So where are in the story then? So you've got the idea, you've researched the tech, you're in a great spot, you know, you know what you're about to do. Obviously starting a company not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, you need arguably a co-founder that can share the spoils because you can't pay salaries yet. You need to raise some capital because you need to build the thing. You need to build a prototype or an MVP and you'll need to incentivize people in a way that isn't equity. So you might need to pay some salaries. Lots of different things go into an early stage idea, uh, especially one that requires build, re requires a product to build and therefore you need capital. So talk to me about how did you get those things done? How did you get a co-founder? How did you raise your first bit of capital? 
So I met my co-founder uh, through, so we're, we're a company with three co-founders. I met my first co-founder, Dan. He has a PhD in natural language processing and, uh, <clears throat> and AI. So uh, we, we, and then he also have a special interest in, in health tech as well. So he was doing a postdoc on, on year child related NLP technology. Um, and I was talking to 20, 30 different like tech people in, in, in the AI and NLP space to try to understand whether the, the solution could really work, whether it's the right time to start this company. Um, and I got very fortunate to, to be introduced uh, to Dan. And then we, we started um, the journey building uh, the prototype. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> um, so a lot of the healthcare. Uh, organizations, the NHS, they weren't really able to to uh, work with us on pilots, etc. So we pivoted slightly to develop a version of our pro uh, product, an initial prototype uh, for COVID nineteen related questions and answers. And the uh, Innovate UK uh, was very supportive, and and um, th there was a grant with actually one of the most competitive uh, Innovate UK grants today with 8,600 applicants. We're one of the winners uh, to further uh, develop that prototype and then to um, really test it in the hands of clinicians as well. Uh, so we ran a pilot testing phase with uh, Eastern Academic Health Science Network, uh, showing that we're saving up to 2.6 minutes per search in 10 minutes consultations in primary care. Um, so extrapolating that time saving where we could be generating 20 to 30 million uh, productivity saving across the NHS uh, when adopted widely. And that is only in one disease area. So that's quite significant. Um, so so w on the back of that successful pilot and also the Innovate UK backing, we uh, we're very fortunate to um, join uh, the Wayra Accelerator as well. So they're, they're kind of our... Uh, first uh, external investor and money, so Accelerator Plus uh, investment. Um, and then we were able to raise our pre-seed round uh, over uh, the, the last year um, in two tranches. Um, and, and, and we, are, we also welcomed our, our third uh, co-founder, Louise, who was uh, previously a CTO and co-founder at Bloomsbury AI um, and, and exited the company to Facebook. Um, so who joined as well as a CTO. So uh, we've, we've since then further developed the, the, the platform to cover all disease areas within primary care. That's not an easy fit. That took us kind of quite, quite a few months to, to get the product to that stage. But now the product, the platform is very flexible. We're working with uh, free NHS organization, one integrated care system, one clinical commissioning group, and recently one another Innovate UK Grant, the smart grant to launch in secondary care with a hospital in Wales. Um, so, so yeah, I am very <laughs> busy nowadays actually <laughs> setting all the things up for, for customers um, and, and our users. So it's a very exciting times to see our product actually in the hands of clinicians and, and organizations excited to push it out to their clinicians as well. It's very cool, man. It's a heck of a journey and it accelerates massively as soon as it's like, yeah, found a co-founder and then bang, 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 all these things happen. A lot of fundraising, a lot of, um, a lot of grants that you've won as well. So grants are epic for early stage companies, a bit of non-equity funding, yep. just money you don't have to give back to anyone, uh, that you can just spend on things for growth uh, to get you to that point of revenue and profitability a bit earlier. 
so yeah, grants are, grants are epic. Any any quick tips on grants? How do you win grants, man? You've clearly been doing quite well on this. Yeah, I I need to get a I, I need to get some sponsors for for mentioning them. But, uh, but we work <laughs> with uh, grant writers. Um, so uh, yeah. w- one of the grant writers that we work with was called Grantify. They're they're pretty good mm. uh, at helping uh, us with the grants. I think. Uh, actually grant writing is similar to what you need to do as an entrepreneur. It's also about telling a story. Um, mm-hmm. It's about telling a story why they should invest in you to do all the R&D and what's the return on investment for, for that R&D and why it is important um, compared to all the other projects that are also very innovative and, and have like amazing teams behind it. Um, so I think uh, you need to tell a story that is addressing a real problem uh, and being able to to mention like real numbers, quote, how it's growing, etc. And then being able to convey it really succinctly. It's kind of like a one minute pitch, but you're just doing on a grant application because you have like 400 words for each question. So um, being able to be um, succinct and concise on those answers. Um, so my advice is um, go for it. It will take up time um, like at least a week or like full time just working on the grants uh, application but if you do you do get it it's uh, yeah a lot of return return on investment for your time absolutely and the other element to that is obviously raising the the capital from investors be those early stage funds be those angels etc since you've been through this relatively recently compared to some of the guests we have on here first first capital first early stage funds or angels as i say how on earth does one go about that where do you find the email addresses of great angel investors where do you how do you approach funds how do you get intros to those people or even go about it at all what's the first step how do you how do you do it how do you go from zero to term sheet with uh, with your first bit of capital yeah i think a a very important tip is always get warm intros so like Mm. Although some investors would say code outreach would work, you can apply on their websites, but getting a warm intro just makes so much difference. And it, it is a bit of a shame that this is still the case, but there are ways that you can get warm intros as well. And that is through getting advisors, getting mentors, um, and also through accelerator programs. I, I think accelerator programs, we're, especially in the health tech space, we're very fortunate um, that nowadays there are a lot of accelerator programs i think back in the days maybe eight ten years ago probably james you're you're most familiar with the scene the (laughs) only player in town is digital health london which i think you helped set up um, and and work there Um, but now there 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 are a lot more uh, different accelerators especially regional ones Um, so we have participated in i would say maybe 10 accelerators now um, and some of the content will get repetitive but you're not, not there for the content you know you should already know what's the regulatory landscape you should know what, how to protect your IP you should know um, what's your business model or value proposition already it's all about the network and, and mm-hmm. in each accelerator I have to be honest the network have not well some of it will overlap and you will see friends and that's great but every time I would say more than 80% of people are amazing people who I've never met before and, and they could potentially be 
uh, other entrepreneurs who are raising that can make a warm intro to say, hey, yeah, um, this investor is great. They, they invested in us, have a chat, um, and there will be um, in, investment um, kind of readiness program throughout the accelerator, helping you shape up your pitch deck. You'll have pitching opportunities, understanding the landscape. Some, some accelerators will actively help you fundraise as well. And then also there's the demo day where um, if you are able to go through the accelerator and be selective for the demo day, some, some of them are, are quite selective. They don't let all participants, they only select the good half of the uh, cohort to to present a demo day. So the investors already know, hey, actually these are good companies. They've, yeah. they've achieved some milestones, signed some contracts throughout the accelerator. So it really reduces the barrier. Um, and I think for us, um, uh, to be able to raise our first round definitely is because of the accelerators that, that we've been on. Nice, that's a good tip, man. And also, just to add to one of your points about, you know, only and they only select half to actually pitch on the demo day and things like that. One advice I would give to people that are looking at accelerators, no matter what stage you're at, accelerators are not a democracy. In the same way that the portfolio of a VC fund, it's not a democracy. You're not going to get equal opportunity just because you're part of a group realistically people are going to select early on who are going to cope best with good introductions who is going to perform if they spend time imparting advice who's going to use that advice properly who's going to turn one intro into 10 intros because they're going to make the most of that interaction who's going to look impressive to our contacts if we then introduce you so that's the way that accelerators think. Accelerators are not a democracy whatsoever. When you get on those programs, those people around you are your competition, quite frankly. And yes, you can be very nice. And yes, you can share your knowledge and all those different things because often people are in a slightly different sector and rarely do rarely do people really compete in the same accelerator cohort in terms of their product and things like that. But in terms of looking good to whoever's running that accelerator to then get the opportunities and make use of their network, as you've said, you need to just uh, you need to climb all over those people, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, <laughs> lesson in life: like you ain't just getting something for free just because you're part of a nice group. And uh, you know, for for better or worse, we don't live in a huge amount of socialism. We live in capitalism, especially growing a business. And so, um, as I say, wherever you sit on that, and there's a place for I think a bit more socialism in a lot of places, but. On an accelerator, yeah, you, you want to see those people as your competition. Am I right? Great question. I think uh, to some degree, yes. It, it, I, I think the absolutely in an accelerator, they have limited resources. They have to take care of the whole cohort. Um, but I think definitely a friendly relationship with your cohort as well is probably very important. So don't kind of be over competitive <laughs> and push push others out um, because. Because the accelerator kind of will end, right? Uh, the accelerator usually is like a six-month program or nine months or 12 months. After it ends, I think uh, I'm, I'm still talking to founders who are on the same cohort and we're still helping each other beyond the accelerator. And, and that help and helping have, having that support group of, of founders is actually very important as well. Obviously, if you need to fundraise and you need, get, need to get that spot uh, on demo day, uh, do your best. And, and it's for your company, it's not f for kind of like limiting the, the opportunity of other companies. Right? <laughs> it's for your company, you're trying to deliver the best value to your customer 
uh, to your clients. Um, and if you if you do that well, you you'll be hitting the KPIs, and that and, and it's more likely that you you get the slot on the demo day anyway. So so so. Yeah, I think I, I think James, you're being too honest. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> no, I, I I do agree, mate. I think I'm more I'm more. I'd like to just strongly offer that opinion because I do I do just think having run a couple of different accelerators, I think everybody's looking yeah. for it to be all roses and friendly and nice and all these different things, which it is. It is all of those things. That's a fact. Um, because as I say, often those cohort companies don't actually compete with each other. It's more that for the attention of those individuals, I'm just offering that point of view, just to make sure that people go in there with with good expectations that like, in the same way that, you know, you hear Steven Gerrard talk about it when he talks about being at Liverpool. Like, yes, they're my teammates, but I'm going to beat them in training mm. every day and I'm going to be number one on yeah. that team sheet every single week, you know, because I'm going to look after number one ultimately. And yes, they're my teammates and we want to do the best for Liverpool Football Club, but actually, I want to be on the field. And so like, they are my competition and my enemy. So, but no, you're right. And actually look, you know, I'm part of things like e-consult acquired Q doctor. They are both in digital health at London. Um, And like loads of Mm. new partnerships with each other. I've seen multiple companies end up pitching as one full solution where two companies just do half a solution. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Like it's definitely, there's definitely mileage in, in keeping up good relationships. Um, And that's far beyond just, being on an accelerator as well um before we wrap up mate i'm just interested yeah, in in, in medwise now and like what are you up to now like what's what are the recent wins what have you been up to like t- tell me about like what's your scale looking like what are you leaning into in terms of the the different customers you have and, and things like that talk to me about like what does medwise look like now yes yeah, so our, our platform search platform is ready if you're a primary care clinician you can just go there medwise.ai and it will already help you in your day-to-day job saving you maybe two minutes per search um, and i know a lot of clinicians gps out there are quite stretched um, so we want to help as much as possible. If you have anything that you want from us in terms of like additional content sources, let us know where it start. We're very quick to respond and to your feedback. Um, on the uh, organization side, we're already working with uh, free NHS organizations, an integrated care system, um, supporting their long COVID services, um, helping quicker dissemination of long COVID related knowledge and information to their GPs. Um, we're working with a hospital in Wales uh, and to expand our platform into acute medicine and secondary care and also with a clinical commissioning group um, to launch our solution incorporating all the local guidelines on our platform making it super easy to search uh, across the CCG Um, but I have to say I'm most excited about a recent win uh, with uh, one of the largest uh, telemedicine company in the UK, uh, because of uh, confidential issues, I can't mention their name, but um, they're one of the biggest. And uh, I'm very excited to be supporting online clinicians because there's additional challenges where if you're an online clinician, you're seeing patients from all across the country, how do you really quickly get access to the right local information and provide the best care to patients? So. Uh, if any listeners, you're, a telemed- you're working at telemedicine uh, company, reach out at hello at metwise.ai. We would love to work with you. Um, and I think uh, we, with, on the back of our recent Innovate UK Smart Grime win, we're starting to fundraise. Uh, we're very excited to grow our, our sales and operation team in the UK. 
Um, so if you're a, an investor and you like what we're doing, and I haven't mentioned our plans to expand to the US where we're disrupting a 7.3 billion pharmaceutical marketing uh, uh, market, um, just like Doximity is the LinkedIn for Google, uh, LinkedIn for doctors, uh, the IPO for 10 billion, we're the Google for doctors. Um, so you can see potentially our data would be really useful for pharmaceutical companies to market to healthcare professionals. We're not doing that in the UK. Uh, culturally, that's not the right fit. We want to work with uh, clinicians to build the right solution first, um, but we're very excited to expand to the US as well. Amazing. It's incredibly useful as a service. I mean, I would encourage everybody that listens to this to actually just go to Medwise AI and just check it out for yourself. Keith, I don't know if, maybe just throw a couple of examples. Like what are the types of questions that you can ask in this search engine and what's, what type of thing are people getting back? I think there's, there's no better way than to just give some examples to, to show like the power of what this actually is. And being a clinician myself and, you know, I've been, let's just say, there's Datex forms that exist where, you know, I've been part of a clinical workflow where this would have saved a heck of a lot of problems. Um, and I've used this to type in some of those searches and, and see like, oh, how, how things might have changed if this person had had this ability. So just just give us a few examples. Like what are the types of things that people search for? What's the, what's the info they get back? Yeah, so from our data, we can actually see most of the time clinicians are still using keywords to search. Um, so Oftentimes it could be just a very quick way to find the right um, dosage of a drug at BNF. Um, but there are more complex questions that, for example, what clinical tests to diagnose a cervical reticulopathy. Um, and, and sometimes it would be also you, things that you remember and you kind of know, okay, what are these, what are the four tests that I have to do, the investigations that I have to do for a condition. and you. You're, you're thinking, oh, maybe I've missed the fifth one. You can really quickly go go on our search, just type it in and be able to find the answers. Um, the best part of the platform is that it's completely flexible. So we're, we're very keen to work with organizations to understand what are your needs, what are your challenges, and then work with you um, to both provide a better search platform for your clinicians, but also using the data that we're collecting to understand what are the unmet educational and training needs so that you can provide better care for patients across your region. So I think that's a really good point what you just said about uh, often you know the answer, you just want it confirmed. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. So it's like for me, one, one case that I was involved in was uh, cellulitis versus neck fash. And it's like, I think it's one, but and I'm pretty, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure this isn't the bad thing. But I just need to make sure my documentation is absolutely on point here because I'm pretty sure based on a few things. So what are exactly the differences between the two, and what are the tests, and what are the exact things that I need to document, just so it's 100% clear. And I know I know them, like rapid and this and that. Like I I know them, but I just want I want it from somewhere immediately. And so that's you know one of the things that I've looked for and, it, and you see it and then it's just like bang here's the stuff and you're like right okay this might have solved a lot of problems rather than like feeling that I need to now spend those time looking this up and and figuring out like all this different stuff so it's 
it's those types of like real life things where it's like, look, I'm medically trained, I've got experience, and you know, I don't want to take the ego hit of 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 saying like, huh, I actually don't know this at all, and I'm going to look this up for the first time. It's not that. It, it's it's like I just need the reassurance that what I'm doing is right, and I think one of the reasons I ended up having to leave medicine was that I was just generally a worrier <laughs> like I think anything that can just help <laughs> me just feel a bit more confident in what I'm doing as a junior is extremely important you know and yeah it was it was interesting man it's why when you came to us like you know all cards on table here you know Keith's a client of some X and we help him with communications and stuff in social media and like I, I think it's it was so important like for for me to work with you guys just because i know like i just know that it was so important for me as like personally and it's yeah, yeah it's what it's why it's why it makes it easy to to do stuff for you guys because it's like yeah i can see i can just see it myself like having having been in that scenario about how useful it'd be absolutely and i think it's it's also sometimes we come and tell stories at a user's perspective but we have to remember that's one user and, and like maybe a, one clinician have five questions, maybe have 10 questions, five questions they'll use MetWise and then each of them save one minute. Okay, that may not be a lot of time saving, but you, if you scale it across the NHS, across any organization, there's a massive time saving that you're delivering. And, and on top of that, you get the right information, you can control that that's, there's not a junior GP suddenly searching on Google and using things on Mumsnet to, to make a mm. judgment. So I think there's a lot of additional benefit which our platform can provide um, that may be invisible to the clinician, but to the system is actually quite beneficial. I think for any investors that, that are listening that want to put into context, saving two and a half minutes in a 10 minute consultation, and that might seem like a small number, in the world of instant gratification, just sit and do absolutely nothing for two and a half minutes and just see how long that is and uh, what you could have got done in that time. <laughs> uh, so that that's an exercise that you could do in your own time. Um, Keith, listen, mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more, I imagine they go to medwise.ai to learn more about that. But let's say people are interested in your journey or they want to get a bit more information out of you. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. My handle is Dr. Keith Choi, T-S-U-I. And if you want to reach out and just have a chat as well, um, my email is keith at metwise.ai. Amazing. Keith, pleasure, sir. Good chatting to you. Awesome. Lovely to have this podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.